The Production Expert Podcast with Mike Thornton, Emma Bard, and Julian Rogers. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast number 432. It's the 10th of August 2020. I'm Mike Thornton. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Emma Butt. So we've got some great uh, deals from our friends at uh, Universal Audio, Artoria, Isotope, NewGen, RSPE, Waves, uh, Editor's Keys and Avid. They're all on our deals page, so do check that out if you're looking for a good deal and see what's on offer. So straight on to our talking points, and these are sponsored by Artoria. Hello, experts and listeners. Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. Okay, so uh, the, for this talking point, we're going to take a look at some practical tips that we wish we'd known when we were starting out. So it's a kind of what would we tell uh, our younger self. Now, Emma, I believe you're training a young assistant at the moment. Uh, and I thought, I wondered whether you actually noticed if she's making the same mistakes that you did when you were starting out. Funnily enough, that's the exact sentence I used with her at the weekend when we were going through um, the the session. Um, It's really funny. There's so many things that you don't actually learn when you're in university that are so important when you get into post-production. So cutting atmospheres, that seems to be a major one. No one actually teaches you how to cut atmosphere tracks in. And they're so important for, especially for factual um, and even in drama, just to kind of create your base layer. But one of the things I noticed was that um, she didn't cut on on the grid. So I had said to her, you know, this was a short film that we were doing. So I said, you know, make sure you do one frame fades between your scene boundaries. And I think she had her grid mode set to, I think, a half a frame or a quarter frame. Um, so what was happening was that she was like, you know, going through and kind of nudging through to try and create her frame fade. But it wasn't landing on the frame boundary. So her frames or her uh, fades were totally off. And then some fades were longer than they should have been. Uh, we'd get mid-scene, the atmosphere would change. And I knew instinctively why she had done that. So it would go from like, say, an exterior shot. It would be an exterior London and then to a different exterior London. But the characters were still in the same place. And I kind of said, was that because you were worried that was going to look like you hadn't done enough work and you were trying to make it look like you had done more? And she was like, yeah. And that's what I used to do when I was starting out as well. Um, You would always fear giving it to the mixer and being like, it's going to look like I've done feck all for the last like day or two days. So I better do a bit more and make sure it looks like I've done actual work. The levels thing as well. I think you never really know to kind of watch your dialogue levels and balance against them. 
I think that's something that you just pick up for, uh, over the years. Um, so my advice was, or my advice to her was to get like a loudness plugin and just have it open and monitoring what the dialogue levels were and then kind of balance her atmospheres against mm. that because it's not something you automatically think to do. And you just assume that the, when you're starting out anyways, that the dialogue levels are going to be somewhat correct coming from the editor suite, which we all know now that we're... No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen. Um, so yeah, it was just really little small things like that, that she was picking the right sounds, but it was just practical things like your frame boundaries and not changing mid-scene and perspective cuts as well. I mean, one of the things that I struggled with when I was starting out was when do you cut in a per perspective cut? Do you just do it on the wides to close-ups? Do you do it, you know, when it goes slightly to a different angle? Um, and it was, yeah, it was just little things. And it's stuff that when I was starting out, I didn't know and I wish I had them in thought. And I used to give my sessions over to other engineers and they would be like, what the feck is this? Uh, this is how you do it. And then you kind of learn that way. Mm. Yeah. I'm surprised, I suppose, I don't know, maybe it's because most of my work's in radio, but I'm surprised the one fade, the one frame fades is still a thing. Uh, I mean, obviously there was a time when you had, you know, everything, to, for, certainly for TV, everything had yeah. to be cut on frame, frame boundaries. But with an audio dub, because, I mean, obviously we need to make sure the file starts on a frame boundary, but I was kind of thinking that actually frame boundaries are not a thing anymore but uh, clearly um, they still are I think sometimes it can be a stylistic thing so for factual I wouldn't do one frame fades because um, I think it's too jarring and you mm. can hear the transition and yeah. nine times out of ten as soon as you play that back to a client in a mix room they're going to be like what the feck smooth that out I can hear the transition mm. but when it comes to something like what we were doing was a short film you want to have clear scene changes you want yeah. to have a definitive end and that's where i think that frame boundary comes back in but if it was factual and entertainment definitely i i agree the frame boundary thing goes out the window but maybe i'm just old school and stuck in my ways and being a stubborn <laughs> feck no i mean it's interesting you talk about dialogue uh, for me if i if i have the time and i don't always have the time i prefer to do a dialogue pass and get the the level stroke well now loudness but back in the day before loudness it was get the levels you know get the speech pretty well hitting ppm6 because i'm most of my work's in broadcast rather than film and then as you say set the atmosphere set everything else to that because otherwise you've got no benchmark you don't know whether your atmospheres are too loud too quiet unless you've got the speech pretty well settled yeah Completely. I do the same, but this one was kind of a, we didn't have much time and we needed to, to get going. So usually yeah. I would do my dialogues and then give them to her to start laying up her atmospheres and effects. Mm. But we kind of had to do this a little bit of a roundabout way because of time constraints. So she had to just use the dialogue that was on the, the AAF. And like I said, not the best guidance, that's for sure. No, indeed. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, uh, you were talking about perspective changes. I mean, the, obviously, I mean, my first sort of thought when you were talking about that is, well, you make a judgment on each one as to whether it 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 jars or it doesn't jar. 
Um, but w- try to give some guidance. You know, we were talking about sort of helping our uh, younger selves or somebody in a, in in a you know starting off. What sort of guidance would you generally give as a starter for for perspective? I would always say just if it's an extreme wide into a close up, that's when you do a perspective change. I remember when I was starting out, I used to like if it cut to a different camera angle, I used to cut in a perspective change. And then if it cut to even just a slightly bit of a wider shot, so not really wide, just Mm. it wasn't as close up on their faces. You could see their full bodies. I was cutting in perspective changes. And I remember the mixer came to me and said, what the feck? Like uh, that is giving me so much work to do when you do that. It doesn't need to be that extreme. It just needs to be when it goes suddenly from a huge wide into a tighter shot. That's when you need to cut your perspective. And it's just not, I think you overthink it when you're starting out, Mm. which is really hard not to do. Yeah. You second guess yourself all the time and your confidence still isn't there. No, and the other thing is, and something I learned from doing sport live, is don't worry about reverse angles. Just don't even yeah. go there. Just it, the, And it's very interesting, once you sort of start looking at it, the brain doesn't actually mind. It, it, it does that mental somersault, if you like, or, uh, inherently. You know it's a reverse shot, but to flip the, the soundscape round, it just... Yeah, it does feel as though you've suddenly, yeah, you've turned everything upside down. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, actually. Yeah, and it's so, for me, reverse shots and, and to a degree changes of camera angle, um, I've always tended to keep the, the Atmos pretty static um, because you're painting an environment, you're pa- painting a picture in sound of that location of that space and and i suppose again for me going from wide to tight is much more about maybe doing a a level change it's the same atmosphere because it's the same location but obviously once you go with the wide shot you've probably got a much uh, closer sort of ambience to atmos to speech so because it's like if you were further away the the speech wouldn't be that loud yeah and then when you cut to the close-up the ambience is much quieter i mean it's, it's we're not talking realism here but we're talking you know enabling the 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 viewer stroke listener not to have to do mental somersaults Completely. Making it easy for the listener to suspend their disbelief, which is yes, yeah. yes, exactly. I'm with it. I've I'm, I've been quiet about this because it's really. I mean, I leave you guys to to this kind of uh, <laughs> this angle because it's very much more your world than mine. But I'm I have to say, <laughs> uh, it's funny how a few uh, the, the the human hearing system is extremely forgiving of so much. I'm very aware of this with some kind of with some reading I've been doing around loudspeakers. And if you look at loudspeakers and just run off hard data, run off uh, just measuring stuff, if you were only looking at that, you'd end up thinking, well, this is never going to work just because the combination of a, a speaker and a room ends up in such a mess that any idea of accuracy is completely out of the window because the room's covered, coloured it so much. But actually, we can listen through that so well that yes. we can go, it's okay. And I mean, if you're sitting in a room and someone's playing, uh, you know, an orchestral instrument, you it's 
like the most hi-fi thing you've ever heard and you can infer, well, not infer, perceive exactly what that, whatever it might be, that cello sounds like from 20 metres away in a reverberant space when actually most of what you're hearing or a lot of what you're hearing isn't that. But, you you you, you know, you can push that stuff away. The... The human hearing system is is amazing. The and I'm not talking about the ears. I'm talking about the brain part of it, the perceptual yes. part of it is yeah. is amazingly flexible. So, <laughs> however, um, I've been doing a lot of stuff with reverbs recently, particularly playing around with kind of like early reflections and just kind of that kind of. And I've I've been really listening to a lot of that recently. That in combination with talking to people such as uh, such as you, Emma, with what you do, um, it's you, you know how kind of people complain, like uh, people who who work with recorded music complain about how it kind of spoils their enjoyment or can spoil their enjoyment because they're kind of listening into it too much, analysing what's going on, and not actually just stepping back and going, "Oh, this is a great tune." Yeah. Well, I had that the other day when I was watching Official Secrets, a Keira Knightley film about um, oh, uh, yeah. Catherine Gunn, intelligence worker in the UK who broke the Official Secrets Act um, because she what was what was going on was unacceptable. It was, it was all to do with the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. Uh, true story. And there was a scene with uh, these two guys on a beach. Somewhere, I assumed it was like Suffolk or somewhere, and they're having quite an intense conversation and. All the atmosphere is there. You can hear all the sea noises and all of this. And I'm going, well, this clearly isn't production sound because, like, they're on a windy beach in Suffolk, and I can imagine that's <laughs> probably not going to fly. But I was listening to it, and I was going, I cannot get over the fact that I can hear the early reflections of the room this dialogue was done in, like, so clearly. Really? And, yeah, I thought so, and I kind of go with what I think because I've been listening to a lot of that stuff, and I was just going, I can, I can hear the room, and. The fact that that was distracting me from what was actually an extremely good film was very annoying indeed. Yeah. Like, These two people are not on a beach. I can hear that a mile away. And, uh, yeah, how annoying. Um, it's, that I'm sounds sure. like it was recorded in a booth. Well, it sounded like that to me, yeah. absolutely. But, mm. but you know, it's and it's kind of like, you know, to your, to your average person who's just going with the film, they're not going to think about that. And I'm going... It's happening. It's happening for films now. I've, I can't listen to music anymore, and I'm, you know, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> shouting at the telly about, uh, mm. I don't know, uh, coffee cups left on tables in Game of Thrones. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I, I, I'm kind of diverting your 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 conversation about yeah, about what you do. So, just to pick up on that, I do think that although, uh, obviously, those of us, you know, we're trained hearing, you know, because that's what we, the world we live in and work in would be able to identify the problem, in this case, early reflections from the room that the uh, the ADR was done in, I would still argue that sometimes the audience will be aware that something's not quite right, but obviously don't ha- necessarily have the, the knowledge and the experience to be able to say, well, it's because of the early reflections. Um, and, and I do have a view that one of the things that we need to be able to do is to make sure that that's i suppose what i was talking about earlier about the audience doing mental somersaults if if what we're presenting it doesn't quite sit right with the audience it doesn't matter what it is but it distracts from the storytelling from the narrative and that's the most important thing i'm completely with you about the reverse angle thing i mean you you're you're very much 
keep it in the centre channel, aren't you? And there's some debate around that between uh, people uh, who do this stuff. About some people think that, and some people think that you can be more flexible than that. Yes, and, and pan stuff. And I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, the main thing I'd say about that is change is the thing you can you 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 can tune out of stuff that's that's constant. And if something's not quite right in some way, but it remains the same, you can stop paying attention to it. But if it changes, then yeah. you're all over it. And you're saying it's the actual flipping. It might correspond with the picture, but you're going to notice it. And it's yeah, yeah. But um, it's but whatever it is, whether it's you know ADR that's been you know recorded in a room with a with obvious early reflections, it, it almost doesn't matter what it is, or the fade of the in the and yes. the atmos, which is drawing exactly. attention to the fact that there's some atmos yeah. there. Yes. Yeah, the type of fade you use as well. Like that matters because it's either going to give you a bump in volume or it's going to give it a smooth out. Oh, the yeah. power is, gain thing, yes. Yeah, oh my <laughs> yeah. God, drives me insane. Every time I see like an assistant who gives me a track lay and it has those gain or the fades on it that give a bump in volume, I'm like, why yeah. the feck? What? No, take that back and redo the model. Yeah. It's such a pain in the arse. But I think the, the ADR thing is a really good point because I remember seeing a, a picture on social media and I suppose this comes back to practical tips we wish we had known. Um, there was a university who was teaching students how to do ADR. Now, I don't know if it was over here. I can't remember where which university this was. But they were teaching them to record with a U87, which totally wrong mic. But instead of the boom mic or the mic being above the actor's head and pointing down towards their mouth, it was below them and pointing up. Or I've seen photos where it's basically like a voiceover mic, so it's like right up against their mouth. And I was just like, no, 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 you no, do not absolutely. do that. It's like you're trying to replicate what was how it was recorded on set and yeah. that's how you're going to get a natural match. And like when I saw the photo of the the mic at the person's feet angling up, I was just like, how the feck is that meant to work? Like, you know, it's not even facing their mouth. You're not even going to pick it up. And who in their right mind goes out with a boom mic and mics up that way? Unless you really have some hard restrictions. Yeah. It's, yeah. So that's one thing. Don't boom mic like that. Yeah. I mean, it. It's what you're trying to do is to make the make it as easy as possible to cut the ADR into the rest of the production sound. So you use you might not be able to use exactly the same microphone that we, that you know in terms of boom or yeah. or lav in terms of what was used on set. But even using you know having a lav mic and a uh, some form of boom mic, you know shotgun mic, and again mo mo as as often is more important mic placement is even more important which is why it's in you match it so you put the the boom over yeah the shotgun mic over because that's almost certainly how it was recorded on location yeah you're making the matching so much easier completely but it seems to be it again it's one of those things that doesn't seem to be taught to people that you know it is an important factor in trying to get your ADR to match and I know that a lot of universities do teach um, a small bit of ADR and it's one of the things that I wish they really would push home to students is okay if you can't get the same mic fine but just make sure your placement is correct mm. think about where the mic is going think about how it was shot and a lot of the time at the university students they they shoot their short like they're on location and then they do their own post-production sound as well so they know exactly where that mic was on the day yes. 
and all you have to do is recreate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a funny one. The the other big thing is trying to get their sound effects, uh, sound effects library, which I believe Pro Tools Expert was very helpful with <laughs> this week, which I can't wait to uh, go and search out all those libraries. Yeah, 200 gigs now it's standing out. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, it's a good starter for 10, that's for sure. Um, so from a variety of different places. So uh, uh, certainly do check that one out. But I, but the other thing, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, practices. Um, it just reminded me, because obviously most of my work's done in radio, and one of the things that really infuriates me is radio drama that has, that has been recorded close mic so spot, you know, the equivalent yeah. of a U87 in front of them. No, uh, to get something believable, get the actors to play around a mic, usually a stereo mic, but, you know, if you're outside, it's going to have to be a stereo shotgun in a rye coat. But, and essentially, it just lands in your lap if you do that. You haven't got to faff about with, faff, with panning and trying to automate, you know, post-production create distance and all the rest of it because it just happens trying to fake something that you yeah. could have captured in the way in because exactly this goes back to my earlier point about um it's it's news to the average person who say watches a film that chances are the majority of what they're hearing isn't wasn't actually done at the same time as uh, as, as as the camera was rolling i mean obviously there's, there's cases where it is but there's a lot of cases where it isn't and this doesn't occur to most people but Given the choice, you you would do that. Now, if you're doing radio, then kind of like it's not like there's cameras to have mics in shot of or no. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like why on no, earth no, would no, you no, try no. to fake that stuff when it's such hard work? And and again, I, a lot of my clients very much of the view that it's actually if you if you can get a location to actually do it on on location. Um, I had a particular project where the the it had actually been set in a place called Robin Hood's Bay here in the UK on the east coast, and they we actually went and recorded it, shot it, you know, sound only obviously, but recorded it on location in the very space that it was set. Um, it was a challenge because, of course, we couldn't basically shut off the whole of the the village whilst we did the recording. But. What, the thing is, was it a period piece or was it contemporary? No, it was contemporary. Well, that's fine then. So, so the, the light aircraft going overhead yeah, isn't going to yeah, wreck no. it. So, yeah, that's no. the... Well, I, when I used to live... Um, when I used to live near Stamford, um, in Stamford, but near Stamford in Lincolnshire, we had, uh, we had Burley House, which was a quite a popular film filming destination. It's, you know... Um, Heartland and uh, stately home and stuff and things like Pride and Prejudice and stuff like that were filmed yeah. there and uh, yeah absolutely they'd close the park occasionally and the whole lot of trucks would roll in and they'd do something however it borders the A1 <laughs> which you know I mean it might look yeah. right but it didn't sound right <laughs> no no but I suppose that's why that um, petition is gonna around at the moment um did you see the petition by like MPSE and AMPS and I can't remember who the other person was about. Um, it, it was a letter to Hollywood asking yeah. for more respect for sound. That's the thing that the person who was choosing the locations would have said, oh my God, great location. Let's do yeah. it here. Yeah. But no one would have thought about the sound implications. No. And the reality is in that, con in that it's not just 
Saudis being difficult in that context, what that ha- it has a budget knock on because if you choose a location which is guaranteed to, for you to require ADR, then you're pushing the price of the project up because you're having to do a lot more ADR that you, than you might otherwise have had to do. Um, anyway, we're getting slightly off topic. <laughs> let's um, let's haul it back to uh, advice that we would give, our, you know, effectively our younger selves or the you know people starting off. Julian, you've obviously got track record of of doing quite a bit of teaching, and therefore I'm sure have seen. Um, uh, quite a few people making the same sorts of mistakes. Um, your sort of top five things that you... Top uh, five things. Okay, I'll be slightly <laughs> facetious, okay, but yeah. I'll put myself back into the teaching thing. Step one, put your bloody phone away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, but, you know, um, yeah. but being more serious, I mean, thinking about um, stuff that I've, I found I had to say to people a lot, I mean, there's, there's obvious stuff. There's things like um, don't mix in solo. I mean, it's, it's it's obvious when you're told, but so many people, when they can solo stuff, they will. And I mean, we've we've been there before. Um, don't mic too close. That's another one. So many people absolutely killing stuff when you you know listen to a acoustic guitar recording that's been made from an inch away, and it's like, yeah, this sounds a little bit claustrophobic, and it's like, well, yeah, okay, stick, stick your ear there, see what happens. Mm. Converse side of that actually is embrace the spill, which. I think most of us are still kind of learning because it takes a certain degree of confidence, you know what I mean? It's kind of uh, um, just to go, yeah, it's fine. It's fine and it'll work. And you just need to look at, I don't know, I mean, James isn't here, but Al Schmidt, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, totally, that is you know. exactly who I was thinking but of, Al Schmidt and Steve true. Genoway. And, and you, look at, you look at the stuff, I mean, if you've never seen the uh, recording a big band film that they did, just look mm. at that. I watched that and I went, that's amazing. And I went, yeah, and look at those absolutely incredible players they're playing. But however, even given the source material, if I did that and I did it the way they're doing it, you'd end up with a phasey mess full of ultimate comb filtering. For, you know, I mean, it's like, it's it's not that easy, but you, you owe it to yourself to try it. Yeah. It's pro- possibly a little bit... Um, uh, a little bit negative to go on that. Another negative one is like you can't hold back from trying new stuff. Like if you get new gear, new uh, a new plugin, a new option, whatever it is, go nuts, fill your boots, absolutely. Try it out as much as you can. I mean, I know I did that when I first got hold of a digital reverb. I've joked before that some of those reverb tales are still going on today. You know, I mean, it's just like <laughs> wow, but. You need to get it out of your system. You know, if you've got someone saying, now, now, don't, don't do, then you'll just want to do it more. Same goes with compression, the amount of overcompressed, nasty, nasty stuff that I've heard because someone's got an option of running, you know, hard compression on every single track and it doesn't get better. It really doesn't. But you need to experience it to learn that. You can't, you'll never take it from some old guy telling you that it's wrong. That's not what kids want to hear, and it's not what I want to hear, frankly. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many things, but these are all kind of practical examples. Well, I'd, I'd go more on something much more specific. I mean, I I, I started off as a as a as a as a music, just kind of like someone who was in bands, and I being the uh, the person who forgot to duck, I ended up being the technical person who did that stuff and found that I quite liked it. It's a really common story doing it that mm. way. But the, we're talking about we're talking about in the kind of like probably the late 80s, really. I sort of started to pay attention to this stuff and paying attention to it properly in the sort of early 90s. Um, but anyway, pre-internet, 
or certainly pre-widespread use of the web. Yes. Um, and I was information starved, and it took me a very long time to to acquire the knowledge that that I got. I, I pieced a lot of it together. I kind of grabbing at snippets of things that I read and things that I heard people say, and I was kind of inferring, well, making connections, going, well, you said that. Does that mean that this thing I heard over here? And I had to work really hard to make sense of it all. People don't have to do that anymore, but I think it might be to their cost, just because although I'd have learned a great deal much faster, I'm not sure I'd have had the depth of knowledge because it's so difficult to concentrate on stuff. This is about the kind of the wealth of knowledge that's out there. And absolutely, read. Read and watch video. I'd, I'd actually go with read more than watch video, to be honest, just because reading is my preferred medium. I like that. I'm not a fan of consuming information via video. But try everything you read. Yeah. Acquiring knowledge, watching a tutorial series, something like that, doesn't mean a thing unless you then go on and actually try it for yourself. Um, don't assume. Don't take received wisdom. Um, there's a lovely story about this, which was um, uh, with, a, with a friend of mine. We were, we were talking about power amplifiers and PA speakers, um, and we were talking about the relative importance of the two. And we're saying, well, you know, an amplifier is an amplifier. I go, well, an amplifier isn't really an amplifier, though, is it? Because they do all sound different. But and we, uh, in talking this thing through, we weren't actually, we're talking about this, let's just go and try it. And we set up uh, running one channel through one amp, another channel through the other, and we're just panning stuff from left to right to listen to the same cabinets with different amplifiers reasonable i mean nothing nothing special they weren't great quality amplifiers but they were your typical power amplifiers that you'd find and we were both utterly gobsmacked at the difference now i expected a difference he was more skeptical he was like nah you know it'll be it'll be marginal you'd have to you'd have to be pointed out no no they're completely different but i was as astonished as he was at how different they sounded and it's a perfect example of kind of like try it see what you find mm. There's some other stuff that I definitely say, which is um, loads. There's loads of received wisdom. I mean, being slightly controversial. I mean, A B all the time. If you make a change, compare it to how it was before. All the time, all the oh, time. Yes. In the same sentence, people say reference. Use mixed references. I think this is overcooked, personally. Just because I'm not saying don't use mixed references. Absolutely refer to <laughs> refer to a mixed reference, but don't expect it to to work to do the work for you. Because if you're comparing a finished product, uh, a finished record with a recording that's in progress that isn't there yet, then... And also, if you're doing something, if you're just learning, your thing is never going to sound like professional product. I mean, you've, you must have absolutely done something amazingly lucky to, to, to get something that sounds as good as your reference, unless your reference is a bit sort of mediocre, in which case, why are you using it? You, you're <laughs> probably not going to get your recording sounding the same as the thing you're aspiring to be like. So don't, I've seen so many people get really, really disheartened by the fact that my thing doesn't sound like my favourite record. And it's like, did you expect to nail it first time? Really? You know, so you know, it's a, it's a slightly pulling in two directions point there, but I still stand by it of like kind of, you know, it's it's not just, oh yeah, just use a, use a mixed reference and then you'll be fine. No, no, you've still got to learn to do it properly. And what's more, 
don't flog a dead horse because if your recording isn't right, it's never going to sound good. No. And this is the temptation always to kind of like, well, if, if it's my fault, if I do it right, if I knew what I was doing with all of these incredible tools that I've got, then I can make this thing sound like that thing. And unfortunately, you will never change the nature of it. It'll always remain what it is. And you need to manage your expectations about exactly what you can achieve. It's the same old thing. I'm avoiding the phrase, fix it in the mix. But, you know, we've, we've yeah. been there before on that. It can't yeah. be done. That was a few. I've got more, but I've realised okay. that that's probably quite a big splurge just, of stuff yeah, from me. I, the one thing that, that really comes to mind hearing both of you is the thing, the way we learn best is with somebody else you know there's the classic uh, teaching method i do you watch i do you help you do i help you do i watch and you know you were talking about reading and watching videos that process is very difficult to do unless you are able to be with someone who can pass that wealth of experience and knowledge and understanding that you only get by doing the job it's funny you say that mike just because the next on my list where i where i um stepped off was collaborate don't be a yeah. control freak i've met so many people who've been doing so who've been doing this for such a short amount of time who who want to keep soul control over it and what and don't want to let anyone else in or change it you know it's 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 silly i've i've had the experience of someone saying oh well i usually do this and blah 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 i think it was talking about micing up a drum kit and uh, i had to stop him and say to my knowledge you've only ever done this once before so what do you mean <laughs> i usually what is that you know, and it's kind of closing down other options of like I did it this time, this way last time, and I thought that was good, so I'll do it that way again. And going wrong, wrong. That is not the thing to do here. There's no one looking over your shoulder. There's no terrible consequence of doing something that isn't as good as last time you did it. This is exactly when you should be doing it. Yeah. No. Oh, very good. But I, I, I do I do feel that certainly in our sector, Emma, there is much less opportunity for. Um, for learning on the job you know the time the time yeah. where we had the sound trainee on on location and you know the tape op in the studio and 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 that's where people learnt. Mm. um and you actually picked up all those things that w we were talking about earlier in terms of the experience um because you're learning from someone who has been doing it a while uh, I, I was very fortunate that at a formative time I was able to get that sort of experience because a lot of my other learning has been what I describe as self-taught, um, you know, learning by doing um, and sometimes not doing it as well as it should be done. I mean, the other thing I, I think is experimentation. Try If you're being paid to do something, that's perhaps not the right time to do the experimentation. Yeah, completely. And I... I I completely agree. There, I was thinking about this the other day, um, just when I was working with this young girl. I struggle to think of any studios in London anyways, I don't know about regionally, um, that actually still have an audio assistant. Mm. And I mean, that's how I got trained. I was the audio assistant. I used to take to the, the AAFs and the Amphibs, um each morning for the different engineers. And I used to separate them out onto their correct tracks before 
any of the mixers started. I tidied up voiceover tracks. I did small bits of cutting atmospheres and spot effects, which is where I learned where I was making mistakes. And I mean, I don't know if that still really exists anymore. I think companies have just cut down on it so much and cut down on budgets. Yeah. So I just don't know how young people are meant to learn now. Now, and that's my worry, that if we don't make some changes, we're going to have significant shortages of knowledge and experience. That that sort of uh, wisdom and experience that has been gained over 20, 30 years, when, when those of us that are approaching retirement leave, that knowledge is going to go with us. Yeah. Um, and that's something that... Is a real shame. Now, I have noticed there are some schemes and programs here in the UK that are starting to try and uh, f- correct to sort of correct that. And uh, presumably, the sort of mentoring schemes that you get involved with, Emma, are, are equally in that sort of vein. I think that's a really good point, Mike. And the so yeah, the schemes that I'm kind of involved in, there's well, obviously Steve Little. Uh, has started the oh feck I can never remember this title he should have made one shorter um, the UK Post Sound Underground I think it's called um, which is pairing up and coming like young soundies and they basically there's a list of mentors on this website young soundies can go on and they have to be uh, female or from BAME backgrounds um, or non non-binary I think I think that's all the the specifications Um, they can go on they can look at the list of mentors in the different fields and they can ask for a mentoring session with them and that can be advice and guidance and you know to kind of steer them in the right direction of where they want to go with their career because that opportunity just isn't out there anymore because like we've said assistants are gone out studios and the other thing that's happening is So I'm working with the Lenny Henry Institute for Diversity at the moment, and I'm researching diversity across post-production sound teams on the highest rate it shows over a three-month period. And the reason why I'm doing that is to basically highlight the fact that post-sound is fecked for diversity. It's really bad. And having started the, the research the last few days, I mean, even I'm slightly horrified in what I'm finding Um, But the point at the end of this research is to highlight there's a problem, but also I want to develop a scheme. And my scheme is to address the issues that we were just saying, where if you are a young starter, how do you get that work? How do you get that guidance? How do you learn from someone else without going in as an assistant and with assistant positions becoming non-existent? I basically want this scheme to fund a high-end drama to have an assistant come in the assistant would be paid through the scheme. So it eliminates the risk for the production company because it's not their money. So they're just like, we get an extra pair of hands, happy days, we don't have to pay for it. It also means that the the sound team has an extra pair of hands to help them out. Um, and it means this young person is going to get the training that they need to develop their career. Now, the scheme is going to be aimed at mid-career level as well, but it's important that the younger generation is addressed too, because like you rightly pointed out, Mike, we're all going to bugger off soon enough. Well, hopefully I've got a few more years left of me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, as soon as we're gone, you know, that's it. All of our knowledge is gone. Mm. So we have to be sharing it right now yeah. while we have the chance. Yeah. 
Good. Well, keep us posted on the, your progress with the research and most importantly, uh, a, well, not a solution, but at least a way of uh, doing something about it rather than what's happening by and large, which is nothing. Yeah. Um, okay. I think we probably need to move along. Uh, so... Uh, Julian, we've got a couple of competitions. We do. Uh, to celebrate their 10th anniversary, our friends at Sound Radix are offering three great prizes in our August giveaway. First prize is the Radical Bundle, which consists of Auto Align, Surfer EQ, Pi, Drum Leveler and Power Air. Second prize is for post users and is Auto Align Post and Power Air. And third prize is Auto Align and Drum Leveler. We've also got a second competition. If you'd like to streamline your workflows and reduce the amount, you use the mouse, not only in Pro Tools, but other apps like Isotope RX, Soundminer, or other DAWs like Nuendo and Cubase, then you have to check out Soundflow. For the rest of August, we're offering the chance to be one of three people to win a 12-month Soundflow Cloud Pro subscription worth $119.88. If either of these competitions interest you, go to the win page on the site or click on the link in the podcast article. Can I just say, though, I always hate when we do the competitions because I'm like, I want to feckin' enter and I can't, can I? <laughs> well, you can enter, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. It's going to look suspect if I ended up winning that feckin' competition. Um, but that's a really good prize, actually. It, Soundflow is, uh, yeah. But Don't watch the, me videos. <laughs> yeah, the Sound Radix one as well, though. That's yes. really good. Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet apps like Skype, you will know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, and it's time now for Find of the Week, and these are sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio is up and running remotely. Their team's set up and working from the safety of their homes, and their sales staff are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio and ensure you can continue to work from home. If there's anything they can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Plus, of course, the link is in the podcast notes. Okay, so find of the week. Uh, I am intrigued about yours, Julian, because I don't know any audio <laughs> tools, but hey, go on then. Uh, well, mine's, uh, it's, I've, been, I've been off for most of two weeks and not thinking about audio stuff, uh, which has been uh, nice and relaxing for the mind. But uh, I've, I've been online and I came across something that's not my kind of thing at all. It's, uh, it's a video about uh, the Gordon Murray Design T50 Supercar, a newly launched, um, just sort of like amazing, super expensive car. I'm not a car guy at all. I drive a 16-year-old Ford diesel. It's like... Honestly, look somewhere else if you want someone who's into their cars. I actually think if you're spending two million quid on a supercar, then you've just got too much money and you should give someone else some of it, frankly. Um, I, I make no apologies for that. But this was a joy to watch. It was an hour-long video um, of just watching Gordon Murray. He's, he's an amazing guy, actually. I mean, he's, he's what, 74 now. He's been around. He's been active in Formula One and sort of car design stuff since the late 60s. So, you know, he's, he, he's been around a while. 
And it was so nice to watch someone who is completely on top of their brief, talking about something that is really complicated, but with some perspective. I think, I mean, it's so, it's so easy to think that technology is all about the new. But it's not about just the new. It's about the best of what's gone before combined with what's now available. And it was great to see that he he was taking things that he'd done in the past and saying, this thing that I thought of years ago, I can now do this better because, for example, I'd never thought about this. The analysis tools you can you can do, you can do pre-production on a on on something and see what it looks like without having to go to the tooling stage or even the modelling stage. You can just bring up a mock-up so you can get it exactly. You know, and I mean, it's obvious to say that, but this is exactly that. It's amazing. I also really liked. I mean, he described this thing as the last analog supercar, uh, <laughs> which I thought, oh, this is kind of this has got some parallels with some audio yeah. stuff, but. My favourite thing that really stuck out for me was he said, this has got no touchscreens anywhere. And I thought, good. Yes, it's an analog car. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Emma, what's yours? Uh, mine is a plug-in called Speakers, which I am really loving at the moment. So I've always been a fan of um, speakerphone. Yeah. And not going to lie, the price tag just always puts me off. It's so feckin' expensive. Um, and especially as a freelancer. So I've been trying to find something that was like it, but doesn't break my feckin' budget. Um, and this was being talked about a little bit on Twitter. Uh, a couple of engineers were saying they had gotten it and they really loved it. And they were talking about the pros and cons because there's been issues with automation on speakerphone. And, you know, a lot of people are starting starting to abandon it. Um, and this was very thankfully on sale uh, on Plugin Boutique. Um, so I downloaded it and I've been trying it out the past few days and I feckin' love it. You can you can change the the actual microphones that are used. You can change the different speakers. So I was doing a short film last week and uh, the guys running along and listening to music on, you know, the iPod headphones. They were in there as a preset, loaded that up, made a few adjustments and worked absolutely perfectly. Um, I'm still trying to figure out little parts of it. Like you can put in something called background noise, but... I couldn't quite get that work in the other day when I tried it. But at the moment, I mean, look, it's not speakerphone, but it's really fecking good. I think sometimes with speakerphone, it's almost too clever for its own good. Yeah. Um, and so having something that's that's a little bit simpler uh, is, is probably uh, quite appealing. Yeah, it's nice and straightforward. And I don't like faffing about for too long. No. I just want to go to what I need and then move on and get on with my mix. So yeah. this does the job perfectly. Good, good. Well, uh, staying on sort of uh, post vein, uh, I've just been uh, starting to get my head around uh, a new um, pair of plugins in the audio res- audio restoration uh, world. Uh, it's a brand called Accentize, and uh, they're just bringing out a version of. They've had D Room, uh, obviously a D Reverb plugin, but they just brought out D Room Pro. Uh, and I've been trying that out, and together with VoiceGate. Now, you th- VoiceGate gives you a sort of sense that it, you know, it's a gate. Well, trust me, it's nothing like a gate. Uh, both plugins are using um, machine learning technology, so you know, similar to you know, the same sort of concepts that Isotope have been adopting. And uh, I have to say, uh, first pass and first play, uh, very impressed. So watch out; there will be an article with a review coming along. But um, well worth checking out. Accentize D Room Pro and VoiceGate. I can't wait for that article, Mike. 
I need that. I need that combination of plugins daily. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, but so yeah, watch it. Wait, wait and see. But it won't be too long. Uh, so on that note, it's good night from me. It's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good night.